What's up, sons and daughters? It is Sam Jesse, and I am back with Chris and Robert from the crew of Locks of Saturday. We are here to cover the New Year's six bowl games. That includes the college football playoff. We just got done watching a um well, guys, I don't know. How would you describe that Virginia Tech game that we just watched? Painful. Yeah, we 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 only have three of the six locks here. So I'm gonna have to regretly inform the audience that we We'll have to opt out of this podcast. Unfortunately, we had too many transfers out and, and opt-outs. Uh, so um, bad news for everybody involved. Yeah, it's yeah just I'm just hoping uh, I'm just hoping that between the time that we record this and it's posted that, you know, half these New Year's Six Bowl games don't just change opponents or get canceled because that would be unfortunate. On that note, if you listen to our bowl season part two where we covered uh, the Virginia Tech game, basically the games from today up until the New Year's Six games, there were uh, what they would call in the business world some material changes to the Virginia Tech game. Uh, the UVA game simply didn't happen. The NC State game simply didn't happen. But uh, the Virginia Tech team that trotted out onto Yankee Stadium's field today was not the Virginia Tech team that I think anybody really thought was going to be playing on that field. If by material changes you mean uh, half the team showed up and I think you and I played like that just happened today. I'm sore, but we put our best efforts out there. I, yes, phys- I'm physically in pain from watching that game, but you know what? Turning a new page 2022 is on its way. New staff, new players, and guys, we will never ever have to pick against the spread, a Virginia tech game coached by Brad Cornelson or Justin Fuente. Maybe that's the last time I hear those two names. That'd be pretty cool. It really might be because I'm telling you, if they don't get a job in this coaching cycle, it might be a while. But hey, I just want to say big things for Hokie football in 2022. Big things for the Locks of Saturday podcast coming in 2022. We will keep you updated, but big things coming for this podcast Really, Sons of Saturday as a whole, we're adding great talent, adding great coverage, a ton of stuff coming your way, continual coverage on men's and women's basketball. Baseball is starting up in a month or so. Really excited for college baseball this season. The Hokies should be a pretty good team this year again. A lot of fun stuff happening. But guys, let's focus on the New Year's Six games, and we're going to start with a matchup in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Peach Bowl. It is the ACC champion Pittsburgh Panthers. They are plus three against the Michigan State Spartans from the Big Ten. Now, obviously, Pittsburgh and their Heisman contending quarterback, Kenny Pickett. Uh, he, Kenny Pickett will not be playing in this game. He has opted for the NFL. And you have to think that that was a really big hit. And that's kind of why this line shifted from what you would assume would be minus three Pittsburgh to plus three Pittsburgh. Yeah, like you said, uh, Kenny Pickett opting out, that's pretty huge. That's a that's a really really big loss for Pitt, um, and they're going to turn to Nick Patty, um, who is their backup quarterback. Who I I think it's pretty safe to guess that Pat Narduzzi doesn't really trust Nick Patty very much because they have already found Kenny Pickett's replacement as Keaton Slovis is transferring in from Southern Cal. However, Michigan State they also lost their Ken and Kenneth Walker. I mean. Kenneth Walker was everything to Michigan State. I it's it's difficult in a sport where there's 22 players on each team uh, for one team to be a one man show, but 
Michigan State was about as close to that as you could get. Kenneth Walker just dominated. He was the best running back in the country this year by far. Um, but I think so with both Kins out of this game, it's major losses, but I think Pitt is set up just a little bit better than Michigan State is. Um, I think Nick Patty will be very fortunate that he's going up against Michigan State's defense because Michigan State's defense has been famously terrible, terrible at defending the pass. They're 103 uh, in EPA against the pass. 103 in the country. That's bad. Whereas Pitt is 10th in the country in EPA per rush defense. So that means that Kenneth Walker's replacements will have a very, very difficult time in getting some running holes. Um, Add on the fact that Patty still has Jordan Addison out there, who is a phenomenal receiver and has decided to play in this bowl game. I think that's the key to the whole thing. Um, So I'll take the points here, especially with it being giving Pitt a field goal. Like, yeah. Definitely taking pit here. Chris, as a also a Southern Cal fan yourself, Keaton Slovis transferring from Southern Cal to Pittsburgh, obviously doesn't bode well for the confidence of your backup quarterback in this game for Pitt. Is that a little bit worrisome? Should you kind of take that as a as kind of a reading? Should you read the tea leaves on that no. a bit? It was actually kind of interesting because um, a lot of the same quarterbacks that uh, I guess our new offensive coordinator, Brad Glenn, has been going after, um, Pitt has been as well. And, you know, Irby hit the nose on the head in terms of the turnover in the Pitt offensive room. But the one thing they did mention was also the loss. And I'm trying to remember if he's actually coaching in this game, offensive coordinator Mark Whipple, who is now also leaving, I believe, for Nebraska. Um, so if anybody can let me know if he's actually coaching in the game or not. Um, if he is, that at least provides some level of continuity for kind of Pickett's understudy in terms of quarterback play and the overall kind of just expectation for what Pitt can turn out on offense against Michigan State's terrible, terrible secondary. But in terms of Keaton Slovis coming in, um, I think you have to expect this. Um, it, it's a, a room that was solely dependent upon having one starter one guy dominate all snaps for the last. I feel like Kenny Pickett, he sh- he's, he's going in the NFL with his doctorate. So he's been at Pitt for the better half of almost a decade. Um, so if you're the incumbent and you're behind him the entire time, there is no like tenure kind of expected on the next guy up. So to me, Keaton Slovis coming in, it's not necessarily – Something that if it were me, kind of weaken his confidence. And for me, I'd be like, I have to show up in this football game because I'm kind of trying out for my position, showing what I can do with Keaton Slovis coming in and giving me a run for my money. So I would only think they would make him want to play better and higher above his probably skills and to me, his capacity probably could uh, be. So I agree to the most part with Pitt being plus three here until the loss of Whipple. And I just, I wonder if that takes this, the wind out of the sails of Pitts kind of, I don't know, it, not miraculous, but unexpected run that they had this year. They kind of dominated the ACC. They have kind of a, kind of a pseudo meh type defense. You know, they're good, but not great. Like they have been over the years. They've thrown the ball a lot. So they left their defense kind of exposed Michigan state. I feel like they're just like a very competent high level big 10 East type of team. So they've been, 
basically playing the likes of, you know, Ohio State and Michigan this year. They obviously went one and one versus O2. They got stomped by Ohio State. And I feel like that's leaving a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And then when Kenneth Walker goes in and fell, they feel like the entire team is going to fall apart. I kind of disagree with that. I feel like the losses on the pit side of the ball, which has equated to most of their success this season, is more substantial. And then just in terms of overall what we've seen in this bowl cycle. Granted, I should probably be following suit with Irby. Irby, your bowl record on the Pickham's locks group right now is like top of the charts here. So I don't know why I'm picking against you. I'm just going to, I should just, that was my dad. That's not me. I can't take credit. That's my dad. I agree with Irby's dad. There we go. So what does Irby's dad think? Because I'm going to go with that because I think he's number one in the league right now. Um, Yeah. He calls himself herbs. I'm not herbs. He's herbs. herbs. Yeah. Yeah. Is his first name like herb? Or something like that, because that would be great. Herb Irby would be fantastic. <laughs> no, his name is Jeff, but I think yeah. you just came up with the best name for my firstborn son. His, his whatever. Name is, you go. Herb. His Herb, name is Herb Irby. Hand, and he's an Echo <laughs> Warrior football coach. It's a little inside getting, joke from the locks, but you know, one just, thing about yeah, this. Getting back to it, I just want to say that that yeah. Michigan State, I feel like, has more motivation right now because they're big kind of impression on the national stage was the fact that they got absolutely destroyed by Ohio state. They're a much better team and they're more than just one person being out for an NFL opt out here. So I'm actually going to take the Spartans here in this spot, just with the loss of everything they have on the offensive side of the football for Pitt. I just, I don't see them being able to generate the offense needed to take advantage of Michigan state's pretty bad secondary. So I'm not confident, but that's the way that I'm leaning in this one. Yeah. And the one thing that I, I'm going to land lean towards Pitt. First and foremost, I think the ACC needs Pitt to win this game. Um, I, I think would be really, really needed to happen. Look, Pitt, maybe not as dominant of a defense as we have seen. You know, I don't think Aaron Donald is out there on this team. I don't think even a guy like Paris Ford, who they had last year, is on this team. But they've still been good enough defensively. I haven't been very impressed with Michigan State's offense as a whole they can kind of get big plays and then it was kenneth walker outside of that i don't think they really sustain drives very well so i'm taking pittsburgh plus three in this one i think they're the more well-rounded team um they have a they just have something about them this year that i think they've just been on a roll uh, sometimes teams just get on a roll uh at whichever level of winning that is whether that's 2019 lsu who was virtually unstoppable or you know, a team like Wake Forest this year who won eight games in a row and scored 50 plus points in every game, even though they really weren't that talented of even a Wake Forest team for Dave Clawson standards. So I think Pittsburgh just has that if factor this year, and I think that will continue into the bowl game. I'm going to take Pitt plus three. All right, let's move on out west. Glendale, Arizona, the Fiesta Bowl. This game will be on ESPN at one o'clock. Uh, the over-under for this game is a measly 45 and a half. It is Oklahoma State as plus two and a half point underdogs to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Uh, Robert, you start. We've seen a lot of Notre Dame and we have covered a lot of Notre Dame games on this podcast this year. We have. We have. And that that kind of causes me to go a little back and forth on this because I think I've consistently been underwhelmed by Notre Dame's play thus far this season. However, I think that as we've talked about in our previous bowl podcasts, um, a lot of these games come down to motivation. And it's a shame that we are talking about New Year's Six games and still have to bring up motivation because you'd think everyone would be, but that's not the case. Um, 
And as I look at Oklahoma State, I see a team that was quite literally inches away from the college football playoff. Um, and that that's a stinger. It just the Fiesta Bowl. If that Fiesta Bowl is not one of the playoff four, it doesn't really matter these days. And so if I'm Oklahoma State, I have to be just a little bit disappointed at how unlucky um, our season ended. Whereas with Notre Dame, um, I think with Marcus Freeman in there, you've kind of seen there's an energy about this program. Um, Most of their coaches staying. So Freeman staying, Tommy Reese staying. Um, they're kind of keeping their core together. And it's almost like this, they've treated it almost like Brian Kelly leaving was just like this horrible, horrible thing happened to them. And they're going to band together and rally through it. I mean, a coach leaving for millions of dollars isn't quite that severe, but hundreds they think it is. Dollars, Irby. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Yes. Uh, and so I, I think the motivation is here for Notre Dame. And Oddly enough, it's weird that a new head coach's first game would be in the Fiesta Bowl, but that's where we are. And I feel like the Notre Dame seniors want to go out strong and those that are that will be on the team next year want to start the Marcus Freeman era off on a high note. Um, and so I, I think Notre Dame, I do think they're the more talented team and I think that they'll take care of business here just because I think they'll just be way more interested in being there in the first place. I just say something very quickly. Um, Brian Kelly's contract at Notre Dame is larger than two uh, national GDPs in the world. Just putting that out there. Anyway, Chris, your thoughts: Notre Dame, Oklahoma State. Oh, oh I was going to say, it, 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 is Baton Rouge one of those GDPs? Because I feel like you do need a passport to travel down there. That, that, I, that is, I'm the type of nerd that'll world. just. I'm the type of nerd that'll just look at a map for an hour and like go on Google maps and like look at weird Pacific islands. You've never heard of these two places. I don't even know if they're like technically sovereign States. They might just be like weird territories. As a kid of a former generation where, uh, sitting in back of the family station wagon with the reverse seat, looking behind at all of the traffic behind you, and, and uh, the the reverse side of all the signs with the gigantic Rand McNally map. I shared that geographic nerdery. So it, it, it's good to find out about your common locks nerdery here. So thank you, Sam, for also being a geographic buff here. But going into this game, um, it's this simple. Um, Notre Dame is just a better team um, than Oklahoma State is, even without the motivational factor here. Yes, they lost Brian Kelly. Yes, he is a good game kind of planning and scheming type coach. I don't think that's going to be lost with the amount of continuity they were able to keep overall within the coaching staff. So in a game that's essentially a less than a field goal type spread, it's essentially a pick them. I feel like Notre Dame is going to be more motivated given all the factors that Irby laid out. Um, Irby, if you want to just get on the phone right now and call Herbs as well, just to get his vibe on this game, that would be much appreciated just so we can all fit just a little bit more confident in our picks here right now. But give me the Irish. Um, I think Jim Knowles is leaving actually for the defensive coordinator position for Ohio State right after this game. So he's probably like one foot in, one foot out of the door in this game. Um, so it, it's one of those ones where you're, you're right. They got deflated in their last game of the season. It's something that we've seen 
time and time again for the team that has a chance to get into college football play, doesn't get in there, gets one of these kind of consolation New Year's Six games, and they come out and they just end up looking like garbage. I feel like that's going to be this Oklahoma State team. Um, and that's probably going to be a premium for points, too, because they're already offensively challenged. Notre Dame is not offensive challenged. I don't know. I like Notre Dame straight up on the money line. The over-under being 45 and a half, I like, I like the under in this game. I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game. So uh, give me the Irish, give me them at minus two and a half. This has been a tough one for me because I look at this Oklahoma State team and defensively, one of the best teams in the country, if not for a historically dominant season by the Georgia defense, Oklahoma State would be the defense that we'd all be talking about nationally as the best in the country. And for me, that's enough to go with the pokes in this one. Irby, like you said about Notre Dame, they've been underwhelming. And Notre Dame, historically, when they, when Notre Dame wins games, they do so in underwhelming fashion. And it tends to catch up to them in these type of situations. I like Oklahoma State. I think they would be, I, I mean, I hate this as a Cincinnati plus 2,700 better. If not for kind of just freak turnovers in that game, Oklahoma State probably beats Baylor. And they might even be in the college football playoff ahead of Cincinnati or maybe even, you know, ahead of Michigan, who knows. But yeah, I I think Oklahoma State wins this game. I I think the line is a bit skewed because of the way that Oklahoma State season ended. And also something you have to keep in mind for Notre Dame. They haven't played a football game in a while. So that's, you know, rest versus rust, rest versus rust, excuse me. Uh, I think Oklahoma State has it here. Um, Let me just say this out loud. So Kyle Hamilton also out for Notre Dame. That's a big, big loss on defense. This is the rub in Oklahoma State. And this just, to me, is a demonstration of how high the top-end teams are versus everybody else. Oklahoma State, 11-2, and two, phenomenal season for them. Yes, they lost that final game versus Baylor, which is probably one of the more unexpected Big 12 championships games of all time. There are two losses this season, Iowa State by three and Baylor by five. So they are eight points away from being undefeated in the season. Even if that were to happen, does anybody still think that Oklahoma State is definitively one of the best four teams in the country? I'll put that out to each of you. Yes, I think when they are on their the style of play that they have and the way that they play defense they can compete with anybody in the nation when they're on their game. I would agree with that, but I would also say that the consistency may not be quite there as much. Also, the ceiling, I don't know. I don't feel like they're better than any of the four teams that are in the playoffs. I'll say that. And if we look at Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame probably, they deserve to be in New Year's Six Bowl, but they probably should have lost to Virginia Tech, who is not a good football team this year. They almost lost to Florida State, who was not a good football team this year. Uh, they almost lost to Toledo, who was not a good football team this year. I mean, how many, how many more do I need to to go? I mean, they've they have not played my, very well this season. My my thing is just that this is all being skewed by the fact that I just think the Big Twelve is overall just a pretty bad conference, especially this season. Just given how it all shook out and with all of the changes that happened, kind of. Double down on that. We can get to that with this next game, too, or if that is the next game. But well, it is the next game. Big 12 
slightly overrated if we're going to talk about Baylor Ole Miss next, if we're going to go into the other game, but let me know. Oh, uh, we can, we can, let's do Baylor Ole Miss next. Why not? Yeah. Let's go. So the team that did beat Oklahoma state in the big 12 title game in Dallas, Texas, um, the Baylor bears, they are one point underdogs against the Ole Miss rebels. Now Ole Miss, a big, you know, a big win for them is having their quarterback actually play this game. An incredible concept. Uh, Matt Corral, I mean, kudos to Matt Corral because he wants to win this. Uh, this game will be the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, Louisiana. It will be probably 70% Ole Miss. Uh, I mean, Baylor is a, I'm sure they travel well, but it's going to be mostly Ole Miss fans there. Over under for this game is 55, and it'll be a late kickoff, 8 45 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, Chris, you said Big 12 overrated this year not yeah. playing as well here's an at-large bid oh uh, excuse me the champion of the big 12 this is the kind of what i was referring to uh this is the one point spread one point spread between the big 12 champion who we talked about kind of just got through a schedule that we can probably all agree was kind of meh and on the other side you have Ole miss who has played the gauntlet as they always have to in the SEC West. And that is the difference in this game for me, is that they comparatively feel like the Big 12 champion is on par with whoever wins a pretty high amount of games. Ole Miss winning double-digit games is huge for them. And the fact that they have Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin, they, they have all the motivation in this game. So what we have seen thus far is a lot of the media, social media, especially amongst all the sports pundits, pretty much crapping on the SEC for their crappy bowl record right now, which they have deserved because they, I think they're 0-5 or 0-4. Dating back to last year, the ACC might be like 0-13 against the spread in their last 13 bowl games at this point. And is that against the spread? I think this is also just straight up, just straight up losses in games. It genuinely might be because I do believe the ACC might have gone over last year in bowl games. And this is the thing that's getting to me. That's because we all know what they're not really saying in these things is the SEC is super top heavy and the teams at the top of the SEC are elite and they haven't played yet. And this is one of those teams that should be in that conversation with Ole Miss. They're coached by Lane Kiffin. They have a Heisman caliber quarterback. They have skilled position players all over the field. This is a team that should handle Baylor because we didn't expect Baylor to be good this year. The fact that they turned out to be pretty good to me is more of an indication of the Big 12 being rather bad this year by the fact that the Big 12 championship was played between Baylor and Oklahoma State. So this is one of those games where if you're picking a money line winner and the difference is the team like Ole Miss and their schedule and their team versus Baylor and their schedule and their team, I'm going to go with Ole Miss 100 times out of 100. So just give me the reps. This is probably one of the easiest ones. This is my lock. I'm going to make it my mortal lock. Play the music, Sam. This one has to be probably one of the easier picks that I have to make on this game because you're just you're picking a winner. It's a plus one spread. The Mortal Kombat music. Yes. Oh, I love it. You know what? I'm going right in with you. Mortal lock. Ole Miss in this game. Look, this game shouldn't be close. It really shouldn't be close. What Ole Miss is going to be able to bring against Baylor. Uh, Just from a talent and speed standpoint, it's going to be so much more than anything they saw in the Big 12 this year. If you look at the Big 12 teams that were supposed to contend with Baylor, 
uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma standards, Oklahoma was down this year, Iowa state, uh, there, uh, just look at the interception that Brock Purdy just threw against Clemson. And you're going to know how Iowa state season went for them. TCU did not play well this season at all. Texas dumpster fire. Didn't even make a bowl game. Texas tech, another dumpster fire, Kansas state. Eh. I, I mean, Ole Miss went through a gauntlet of a schedule and basically stay in the top 15 all season long. I think if Matt Corral stays healthy, he was probably getting at least an invite to New York and maybe even winning it if he would have stayed healthy throughout the year. I love Ole Miss in this game. Uh, They want to win this game. I would lock this in. Um, Ole Miss might win this game by 20 plus, in my opinion. And I don't think it'll be remotely close. Also, their uniforms are going to look spectacular in the dome on that turf at night. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. So before I chime in here, can anyone tell me, is Baylor University in the state of Alabama? No. That I know is no. Great. Well, Ole Miss is 0-2 this year against teams from the state of Alabama. They are 10-0 against everybody else. That's all you need. They're going to hammer Baylor. I'm on this too. Baylor, they don't even know who their quarterback's going to be. So, yeah, this is an easy one. Ole Miss all the way. Now, is that a is that a lock? Is that a the lock's coming? This isn't my lock. Lock is coming. Okay, the lock is. If coming. I had, if I was allowed two locks, I would I would lock this one. But let's keep it at one it lock. One. Don't get. I try to keep it at one. Don't get ahead yeah. of yourself. No, you you can get a lock and a mortal lock, right? Is, is that the difference? This is a baby lock. This is like a. Uh, this is like one of those skinny seal. ones. No, I'm this, just this thinking of like the meme of putting the Cheeto like in the door. <laughs> I was just thinking that too. <laughs> this lock is like the one that you get when um, you know you 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 have like the the three digits that you can scroll through and easily solve, even if you forget the number. That's the kind of lock for Urban on this one. Or like uh, like a Tylenol bottle, where it's like kids can't figure out that you have to push down and then turn to open it up. You have to. I have trouble mm. with those too. So what are you saying? Well, hey, yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's a locker. It's, it's like a, a door with the, like you said, with the number, the number, the code is one, two, three, four. That's, that's it. So it's the same code I have in my luggage. That's a space balls reference for those. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. All right. Well, shall we talk about the granddaddy of them all now? Utah plus four against Ohio state in the Rose bowl, Pasadena, California, College football's premier stage, ESPN at seven o'clock. The over/under for this one is a pretty high, sixty-four and a half. Now let's start with that over/under for this game because the Utah defense has played phenomenally over the second half of this season. And it's a big part of the reason that they're in this game right now. Utah is definitely getting some respect with being only four-point underdogs to a team that a lot of people thought could challenge Georgia for the national title game up until that loss at Michigan. I've been riding Utah since the beginning of the season. I had Utah Pac-12 South champions. Cha-ching, got that one. I had Utah over eight and a half wins. I believe they got nine. Cha-ching. We did confirm they do have 10 wins. They're 10 and three. That went uh, nine and three regular season. So that's a cha-ching. And I'm going to ride with them again right here. And I'll tell you why. Because Ohio State doesn't want to play in this game. Their guys are opting out. They have to travel cross country. They look, I, I don't think 
And this is crazy. I mean, it's absolutely absurd to me. I had a tweet that goes out, but like when, when guys are opting out of the Rose Bowl, like the Rose Bowl, it's over. Like the bowl system's over. It's done. When guys are opting out of the Rose Bowl, none of it matters anymore. I like Utah in this game because I think they will be able to control possession of this game, play good defense, play good special teams. They'll do the things that they need to do in order to at least keep this thing close. I'd feel a lot better if this was around five and a half or six, to be honest with you. But I, I just have a feeling about this one for Utah, and I'm getting the four points. I like the Utes. I also love the Utes here. Um, I think the key here is, like you said, it's the opt-outs. Um, I think especially if you look at Ohio State's offense, um, Olave, uh, Wilson, and Smith Jigba, I think those three receivers, as we look back maybe a few years from now, and as those guys make it to the NFL and whatnot, I think we'll look back at that receiving core kind of in the same light as we have uh, the Judy Rugg Smith Waddle core and the um, Jamar Chase Jefferson and Terrace Marshall Thaddeus Moss core. Like these guys are that good. They're all NFL talent and two of them have opted out. And I think as you look at CJ Stroud and what he did this year, he was a Heisman finalist, had great numbers, but I think a lot of that really just had to do with he had just a phenomenal group to throw to. Uh, I mean, they were just an impossible matchup and two of those guys are gone. I think I'm going to go ahead and preemptively predict that Stroud takes a couple steps back in 2022 as he'll only have one of those three left. And yeah, I I think that starts um, with the Rose Bowl here. I just don't really see a way for Ohio State to hang tight with a team like Utah that is on fire um, where their their guys don't even want to be there. So. I feel like I should be compelled to agree with both of you because you're crushing me right now in every single bowl game type metric, but that would only be, and you guys sound like you're picking Utah on the money line here, not just to even cover the spread. Do I have that right? I just want to get the sense. It's a four point spread. I just want to get the thing that this is a cover or this is an absolute win. Utah wins. You know what? I don't think the payout for a Utah money line is enough in this one. DraftKings right now has it at plus 165. You know, in order for Utah, Ohio State, I would have liked it to be about plus 200 for Utah. That would have been the money line you would have seen at a game that's plus five and a half, plus six. We saw that with UCF versus Florida, which by the way, cashed easy money central florida over florida in that one exactly so um i would feel more comfortable betting plus four right now actually DraftKings has that plus four at even odds so uh i think you're getting a pretty good bet there this to me is like you, you you talk about games like the granddaddy of them all and kind of who's been there whatnot one thing that we can be assured to say is utah has like not been there that this is new for them so I feel like their season culminated when they beat Oregon and won the Pac-12 championship. Um, that to me is far above and beyond what Utah should have ever achieved this year as a 10-win season and winning the Pac-12. Now getting to this game, and yes, you have the opt-outs. A lot of those opt-outs are pretty much in the Ohio State position group for the wide receiver room there. And the last time I checked, Ohio State's wide receivers outside of Alabama's wide receivers those are the two best position groups in all of college football um, outside of maybe Georgia and Texas A&M's defensive line groups. My guess is 
they have plenty of talent to be able to come in and play with a month's worth of prep. And oh, by the way, their entire staff is intact. So it's not like this is one of those, everyone's kind of a triding out of Ohio State moving on and there's a bunch of stuff in flux. The only thing that's missing in this in this equation right now, who are the legit high-end starters for them, are Olave and, in my opinion, Wilson, who will probably be first-round draft picks, if not top second round, first and second round draft picks in the NFL draft. I just feel like the talent differentiation overall between the two teams is tremendously wide. And that's where I don't feel like Utah really has the experience, not only with just facing a team like Ohio State, but also facing a team with the experience of how to be and play in this game like Ohio State is. And I have seen numbers and reports on the fact that Ohio State's not necessarily going to have a large fan base showing up. I don't think that's due to disinterest in this game. I think it's probably more because we're we're spiking up with COVID cases again and people are restricting travel and there's some, some well, tentatives out there. But I it's, don't think Ohio State is lackluster in this game. It is the Rose Bowl, and that does mean something to Big Ten teams and a Big Ten team like Ohio State. So. The reason Buckeyes aren't traveling out to LA is because they're saving their money for playoff tickets when the Browns magically make the playoffs and win the AFC North. That pause was like like a tumbleweed tumbleweed just came through the middle of the screen right now. The Cleveland Cavaliers have a better chance at the four seed than the Browns have at making the playoffs at this point. I don't know. Ricky Rubio torn ACL last night. Yeah, that's uh, brutal. That's COVID's a tough loss. still happening. You do have uh, one of my favorite young players in Mobley, but that's besides the point. That's an NBA podcast. We can get in that in, in, in the winter time. Yeah, we'll do that and we'll do that in a few months. For me, this game just comes down to the fact that Ohio State is just a much better overall program. And Utah's biggest kind of example to date is the fact that they beat Oregon and then go, oh, well, who did Oregon beat? Well, Oregon beat Ohio State. The transitive property of football never works out. It never, ever works out. That was a one-time out of a 100-type game that Oregon played in the shoe early on in the season. That's not something that if you said they played that game 10 times, even 100 times, that Oregon would win even close to half of those games. Um, So just give me the Buckeyes. They're the much better team. They still have motivation to be there. The rest of their wide receivers, the fifth best wide receiver on Ohio State's depth chart would be true or false the number one receiver, probably not even on Virginia Tech, but probably in the ACC, true or false. Which number? Wide receiver for Ohio State? You want to go fifth, fourth? What would it have to be? Um, This year, I think you could say The best guy that they recruited who did not log a stat. If he were to play this season for an ACC team, what do you think he would do? Uh, He would be first team. Yeah, because they have all the good wide receivers. Unless he played for Virginia Tech, then he would not be properly utilized. Well, that's a whole different story because we don't know how to throw the ball down the field. Nevertheless, the talent in that room room is elite. It's like almost an NFL position group. And that's my case here. They will, in the next two or three years, we will look at the Ohio State wide receiver room that we've seen last year and this year as the same way that we looked at kind of you know, some of the Georgia running back rooms and some of the yeah. Alabama wide receiver running rooms, uh, excuse me, wide receiver rooms. You know, it's it's this the stockpile of talent is insane. The one thing that I do like about Utah is they've won the game in like the most inevitable ways that teams can win football games, and that is just running the ball down your throat, playing clean football, winning turnover battle, making plays on special teams. It's not sexy, it's not fun, and it's yeah. so hard to pick, but Utah has done it for nine games in a row. They have 
decimated teams. My my thing is, is does Utah do their best Michigan impression in this game? And is that good enough? Because that's what got Ohio State. And mm-hmm. I just don't think that Michigan and Utah are on equivalent planes in terms of talent and just the coaching levels on each team. And that's where I feel like they'll sputter out here. I do feel like it will be closer, but I just, because of the fact, when I saw this original matchup, I thought that Ohio State would have been favored by way more than four. Mm-hmm. So the fact Agreed. that it's four, to me, if I'm getting Ohio State, with less than a touchdown, I'm I'm laying those points and just give me the Buckeyes, given the differentiation between the programs. Agreed. And I remember not to stick on this game for too long. This will probably be our last point. But when Ohio State played Washington in the Rose Bowl game, and Washington was a very similar team to this Utah team where they were really good up front and their front seven on defense, really good offensive line, hard-nosed team. Uh, I believe that game, Ohio State wiped the floor with them. Crushed them. Like in an embarrassing fashion. So um, who knows in this one, maybe I'm just rooting for Utah. I don't know. I owe it to Utah to pick them in this game though. I'll tell you that. All right, let's move on to the college football playoff games. These are the big ones. Uh, Which one should we start with guys? The one that plays first. We'll start with the three 30 game. All righty. Well, the the horrible time slot on a three 30 on a work week day. Uh, Yeah, that, that probably wasn't a good idea. And, you know, someone in a meeting room somewhere was like, hey, guys, we should play a sporting event, our most important sporting event of the year, on the holiday where nobody is sitting at their house watching sports. In a country filled with holidays where we just sit down and watch sports, they pick the one holiday where everyone will be dressed you know, going out, not watching sports. So why this game is on New Year's Eve, I have no idea. Why it's at 3.30 on New Year's Eve is uh, beyond me. And just to think of the amount of idiotic decisions that had to happen in the bureaucracy of not only the NCAA, but also with ESPN to get this decision to be made will just baffle my mind. Anyways, to the football game, the Cincinnati Bearcats plus 2,700 at the beginning of the year to make the college football playoff. Fellas, just a round of applause for the podcast. And Very for nice Cincinnati. Job. Thank you so much, boys. Thank you. Thank you. Just wonderful. Thank you for your service. We're so proud of you. Um, this game will be played. It is the Cotton Bowl. It will not be played at the Cotton Bowl. It will be played in Arlington, Texas. Um, at AT&T Stadium on ESPN at 3.30. The over-under is 58. The Bearcats of Cincinnati are 13.5-point underdogs to the evil empire, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Robert, let's start with you. Our sweet, our sweet, darling Cincinnati Bearcats are playing I, what could really only be described as I mean, they are the evil empire from Star Wars. They they are just this incredible menace of a football program, and they showed it against Georgia with one of the most surprisingly dominant performances we've seen in college football recent memory. Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe those rebel Bearcats have uh, found a valve that goes straight to the entire core of the Death Star. Um, the key to this game to me is John Mechie. Um, not playing 
He unfortunately suffered torn ACL in the SEC championship game. And I, I think that that's just going to make a huge difference. Bryce Young has been awesome this year, but he has really, really gravitated towards Mechie and Jameson Williams. Having one of those two guys out is really hard. Um, now, I mean, the talent is obviously there behind him. Um, I look at JoJo Earl and Ja'Cory Brooks, who are both five-star freshmen who have shown some flashes, but um, you know, haven't done so consistently. Now, you may look at you know guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, who were contributors as true freshmen for Alabama, even with Devontae Smith catching a game-winning touchdown pass to win the national championship in overtime. But those guys are kind of like just special, special players, clearly in how, you know, Smith went on to win the Heisman and Jalen Waddle is leading all rookies in catches right now in the NFL. Um, So while that is possible for these freshmen and younger guys to step up in this huge moment, I think the safer bet here is Cincinnati plus 13 and a half. Um, Especially when you look at Jamison, Jamison Williams, he's going up against Sauce Gardner for Cincy who uh, so far in single coverage this year, Sauce Gardner has given up five catches. Five catches. Now, granted, he's going up against receivers that are not even close to the caliber of Jameson Williams, so this will be the toughest. But his name is Sauce. And his name is Sauce. Well, who's the guy on the other side of him on the defense? What's his name? Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. His name is Kobe Bryant. Um, Yeah. And that's the point is they're not going up against one-on-one coverage. He won't have to guard Jamison one-on-one. That's my point is that there aren't these proven receivers for Alabama that they can, they can cheat a little bit on Williams. Um, so I think Cincinnati is going to make it ugly. I love, love, love the under here and I love the spread. So you're asking for my lock. Here it is. I am locking in the same game parlay. Of Cincinnati plus 13 and a half and under 57. That's a plus 265 payout. I don't think Cincinnati wins the game, but I think it's ugly and I think Bama pulls it out late. Chris, your thoughts. I I absolutely love it. And I'm sorry, Irby, that I agree with you on this one because, well, number one, let's go all the way back to the beginning. It's a thermal exhaust port for the Star Wars reference. So let's get the nomenclature right here. As an OG of Star Wars fandom, it's the thermal exhaust port. All right. So going back. I'm ashamed of myself. Please forgive me. It's it's fine. It's fine. Um, What gave Alabama fits this season? And the answer to that wasn't necessarily just defense because we saw versus Georgia that, you know, Georgia's defensive line and kind of the front seven was the pretty much the, 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 the strength of that entire Georgia defense. It's been solid secondaries. And this is where I agree with Irby. And that's where Cincinnati differentiates themselves um, as a team that can give Alabama fits. And if you look at who else kind of had similar types of capabilities this year that Alabama has played, I feel like AM, Auburn, those types of teams, um, more strength than the secondary. Georgia is actually pretty weak in the second. That's like their big Achilles heel for that defense. Um, that's what Cincinnati has. Yeah, that's what Cincinnati has in spades. Um, and so when I'm thinking about what can slow them down and almost a two touchdown spread, by the way, this line, I don't think ever moved. It opened at 13 and a half and it's paid pretty much 
even across the board, right? I, did, did I have that right? I, I don't think it's moved off. Of yeah, it's, it's stayed at 13 and a half basically since it was announced. Which is weird because you would have seen based off of public perception that 13 and a half, um, everybody would have been on Alabama early and that line would have bumped up a few points by now just based off of just the perception of each program, which leads me to believe that the public, I think, is heavily betting Alabama and the Sharps are all betting with heavy bets on Cincinnati because of these kind of insights that we're delivering here today, which is Cincinnati has a really, really, really good overall defense and a really, really, really good secondary. And with Mechie being out, that's a big difference maker for them because I know we talked about just them having another deep wide receiver room, but, you know, Bryce Young is exactly what his last name is. He might have won the Heisman, but he's young. Like he hasn't been in this moment before. He's never experienced this type of stage where he's been the guy who's had to come in and actually play snaps, meaningful snaps. So um, I, I, I trust Alabama to probably win the game. I just don't trust them to win by two touchdowns. Um, I feel like Cincinnati being here is indicative of the fact that they have built a power five elite roster at the group of five level. And the fact that they're going to the big 12, they're just going to be a really good big 12 roster. Um, yep. As long as Luke Fickle is there and he has the staff that he has in place and the resources because Cincinnati is one of the top spending teams in the group of five, far and beyond anybody else within their entire group of five kind of conference alignment there. Um, they're just the best of that entire group. Um, and so this is just a culmination of all of that. Um, I've, I've been bouncing back and forth on this one because I keep on trying to talk myself into the fact that this is just Alabama and this is just what they do. They win big. Um, but I don't feel like this is the blowout game. I feel like this is the close game. We'll get to the next game, but I feel like this is the closer game of the two because that was the other thing I had to think about. There's always one blowout. Which game is it going to be? So give me Cincinnati, give them to cover, but I still feel like there is a path for Alabama to still win this game. Um, I don't feel like Cincinnati has all the horses to be able to pull out a game like this. Yeah. Chris, and we talked about this before we hit record tonight. I think the one thing, if you haven't watched Cincinnati play a full game this year, the one thing about Cincinnati that will surprise you is their size across the board, not only on the offensive and defensive lines, but their size at running back, their size at wide receiver, their size in the defensive secondary. It will look on par with what Alabama puts on the field. They have big guys across the board. They're physical across the board. Their wide receivers will go up and make plays and they can block downfield. Their defensive backs will be able to lock and man coverage right at the line of scrimmage. And I think that aspect of this Cincinnati team is something that I'm not sure is being attributed into the line too much because the ability just to go up and get a jump ball in the red zone, the ability to, you know, if Alabama runs a tunnel screen, the ability to throw off a blocker and make that tackle. That's something that I don't think a lot of people would associate with a really good group of five team. When we see these really good group of five teams, we usually think of them spread offense, fast guys. They're just going to score a bunch of points and that's it. That's not how Cincinnati plays. They are a full-fledged power five roster. I love Cincinnati plus 13. I am riding with Cincinnati plus 13 and a half. Um, I, I just think that they're a really good football team. Obviously, I would take Alabama to win this football game. They're a better team. They just are. I would take Alabama to win this football game. 
But if we take Alabama on the whole throughout the season, they haven't really played that well in a lot of scenarios this season. Look at the LSU game. They only won that game by seven. Look at the Auburn game and took four overtimes. Cincinnati is a much better team than Auburn, and they're a much better team than LSU. So just kind of think about that. This game being played on a neutral site, the amount of energy that Cincinnati will have. And Robert, you brought up a good point before we hit record too. Cincinnati has nothing to lose. I mean, Cincinnati, they are going to throw caution to the wind. You're going to get every play in the playbook. These guys have been waiting for this game, not only for the entirety of this year, but the entirety of last year, because Cincinnati's team last year might've even been better than this Cincinnati team. I think you're going to get a really hard-nosed physical game here. I think you're going to see two teams that belong on the field together. I don't know if Cincinnati will win, but I think they will keep it within two touchdowns. If you are interested in Cincinnati Moneyline, plus 385 on the DraftKings Sportsbook. Is that something that you would think about sprinkling? Just just a little sprinkle on plus 385. If it was was 400 or better, I'd feel really good about it. I, I guess that's not too far off of 400, so maybe it's worth a little something, but it's worked for me in the past, I guess, throwing a little something at Cincinnati, so who knows? I'd actually would, and for the big reason being that there is a path, like there is a percentage chance, but there have been games where you have two touchdown-ish type spreads, and you look at it, and you're like, the team that is an underdog has no chance of winning this game. There is a path for Cincinnati to win this game. It is all about Cincinnati's ability to score on the Alabama defense. And with the, I would say, level of Alabama defense that we have been accustomed to from them playing in the past. This isn't that type of Alabama team. And I feel like Cincinnati can grind out drives and be able to put the ball in the end zone consistently enough. Granted, like I said, not nine times out of 10, not 10 times out of 10, but maybe one game they can put it together to be able to do it. So yes, the money line is worth it. I wouldn't put a lot on it, but if it's worth sprinkling, as you said, yeah, absolutely. Plus it makes it more fun. Yeah, and I would look, I'd be interested in this game if you're someone who's in the live betting during the game. I'd be interested to see how much this game moves if Cincinnati's able to score first or if Cincinnati looks really good for the first quarter. Be wondering how much the sports books will move or if they'll kind of pull it back and say, we still think Alabama is going to dominate this game, even if it looks like Cincinnati is on par with them in the first few possessions or first quarter. I think that'd be a really interesting thing to monitor. Uh, as the game goes on, let's move on to the next college football playoff game. This one, the Orange Bowl in Miami on ESPN. Uh, guys, I, I don't think these two teams could be headed in any more different directions heading into this game. Michigan coming off of a dominant win against rival Ohio State and an absolute shellacking of Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. And then Georgia, who just got decimated in the SEC Championship game by Alabama. Georgia is seven and a half point favorites against the Michigan Wolverines. Robert, your thoughts on this game? Well, my first thought is that I I absolutely love this matchup. I really do. Um, I think if you look at these two teams, they're constructed almost in the exact same fashion. Um, they both run the ball and they both play hard, tough defense. You know, they're both they're both top five in the country in scoring defense. Like this is just going to be 
just a fun, fun matchup if you're into, you know, uh, defensive struggles and lots of running. Um, that said, I think that seven and a half points here for Georgia is is pretty ridiculous. Um, I I think this this these two teams are way closer um, in talent than that. And honestly, I think Michigan wins this game outright. Um, I really like what um, Aiden Hutchinson brings to the table. I think that he's going to make life pretty difficult for Stetson Bennett. I don't trust what Bennett can do. I don't trust um, Georgia's secondary because like Chris said earlier, their secondary is their Achilles heel. Um, you know, we did, we weren't really sure because they hadn't really played a good quarterback and then Bryce Young absolutely lit him up. Now is Cade McNamara Bryce Young? Absolutely not. However, I think that he will make enough plays. I think that Michigan has now seen, um, at least seen the vulnerability. It's now been played out on the field. You know, you can, you can beat them if you try, um, and add on just the two headed monster they have with Haskins and Quorum running the ball. I, it's going to be a low scoring game. And I think Michigan just edges it out maybe by a field goal, but definitely, definitely, definitely love them in the points. All right. You all know that I have been just touting not only just the significance of this season of the Georgia defense, but just how they have measured up to historically great defenses over time. And this spread seven points to me is indicative of the fact that the Alabama game left a lot of bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Um, that doesn't change the fact that this Georgia defense is still historically great. And the reason for that Alabama game was for a lot of things. Number one, and I think people just kind of have to chalk this up, that Bryce Young played the game of his life, the absolute game of his life. Um, I, I don't think he even replicates that type of game if they played a few more times in a row. Um, so there's that. Um, and there's nobody like that on the Michigan offensive side. They are a run smash mouth team. This is Jim Harbaugh's reinvention of the kind of late 2000 Stanford teams that he led in the early kind of, what are the San Francisco type teams he had when he uh, jumped ship to the NFL. But um, guess what? He doesn't have the level of talent that Georgia has been recruiting. And I know I'm probably a broken record this because I said it before, but Georgia just has elite elite talent. Um, and I'm not thinking that this is going to be a matchup of Ken Stetson Bennett and company score on the Michigan um, side, excuse me, on the Michigan uh, defense. I think this is, this game plays into the hands of the Georgia defense perfectly because what they do is they stuff and stomp the run. And that's what Michigan is going to try to do because they can't do anything else really at a high level to be able to take advantage of what we talked about, which is Georgia's kind of secondary Achilles heel. So um, this is a spread where I was worried it was going to be kind of like the Alabama spread where they would just open up at two touchdown favorites because they're the SEC team. And because um, the perception is that Michigan is probably just happy to be here because they should just be happy to be here in this game. Um, them beating Ohio state winning the big 10. I, I think I said it before in, in the prior ones that was, for, for Utah, that was their season. Michigan did something that they had never done before under the Jim Harbaugh era, and they got to that point, and that's great. 
Um, but now it's time for college football playoff, big boy football. This to me is the blowout. I don't think they're going to exactly stomp them by like, what was it? The Alabama, Michigan state 38, nothing trouncing. I think this is going to be more of like a two touchdown, maybe two and a half score type game. Uh, but I do think Georgia handles Michigan pretty handily. I think this is where the, uh, the Cinderella season stops for them. Um, Georgia's just too good. And they do, they do it at an elite level on defense to stop what Michigan is going to try to do all game, which is going to be to try to establish the run with their guys. Um, and the talent level is just, it, it's too big of a gap between these two programs. Um, and I just don't trust Michigan's passing game to be able to take advantage of this. Um, and it is being in Miami. I know Georgia's closer, but I just feel like this is going to be another thing where there's probably going to be a heavy lean for the Georgia crowd. They're going to be just more amped up for this game. And I know we said Alabama's probably going to win. And I know we said that Georgia is likely to win. And it's going to be another boring SEC overall championship game. But this to me is the blowout game. Yeah. They're the two best teams. And and Georgia, to me, I, I feel like I'm getting a discount by getting them a seven and a half. Well, one thing about the Georgia-Alabama game that so quickly was forgotten was that Georgia was up 10 nothing to start that football game. Yeah. And it just, for whatever reason, the game just kind of got away from them really quickly. And it was because Bryce Young made some incredible plays, kind of on like, there's basically three straight drives of Bryce Young making Heisman moment plays. And that put Alabama in the lead and then Alabama never looked back. It's really only been three quarters of football this entire season that Georgia has looked even human. So in this game with Michigan coming down to Miami, the one thing Michigan has for them is they have good running backs. They have the ability to run the football. They have a very talented offensive line and they have good pass rushers. Well, the thing is, I don't know if Georgia will really care about that because I think Georgia is quite perfectly fine not having Stetson Bennett throw the ball very much. So for me, I look at this game and part of me wants to pick Michigan because I want to see someone not Alabama or Georgia play for a national title. But really looking at this, even with seven and a half points, um, I, I do like Georgia in this game. I think this is an opportunity where you will see the, as you said, Chris, kind of the totality of the talent level and development of Georgia will just be a bit too much for Michigan to handle. And one thing to remember about this Michigan team is, you know, yes, they all have, they did win the big 10. They did crush Ohio state, but this is not a team that's been tested too awful much this year. You know, when they were tested against Michigan state, they lost that game, but you've seen, you know, kind of a down year from Penn state, you know, the rest of the big 10 East is, you know, not too much. So looking at this Michigan team, I don't think they have enough to play with Georgia for four quarters. Uh, give me the bulldogs in this one. I like them at minus seven and a half. To wrap things up, on DraftKings Sportsbook, they do have kind of potential lines of what it would look like for certain matchups. Really quickly, let me know who you like in these matchups. If it does go kind of chalk, and we do see the two favorites, Georgia and Alabama, in the playoff final, the spread would actually be minus two to Georgia. Chris, Robert, how do you feel about that game? Uh, Potentially, Georgia minus two against Alabama in the playoff final. 
take fan on that if I would lock it in. I've said it over and over and over again. Every elite defense that they have measured up to has either gone undefeated, lost one game, and won a national championship. And I feel like that game was just this magical Alabama moment, more so than it was an indictment on the Georgia team overall. I would probably take Georgia. I would take Georgia as well. It's really hard to beat a team twice. And if you look at that game, I think it just got away from them. Um, I would take Georgia minus two there. All right, let's say Michigan beats Georgia. Michigan would then be six-point underdogs to Alabama. In that one, I'm taking Alabama. I would... Oh, six. That's tough. Uh, I'd say Alabama by a touchdown. So I'd take Bama. In that one, I just feel like Alabama is probably the best version of any kind of Ohio State team that they would have played. But I feel like it would be close. I'd probably take that to be a much closer game. But it's six. Give me Bama. Sorry. I just feel like the difference between Bama's talent level and Michigan is just more than a touchdown. Yeah, I would agree on that one. I also think kind of the team speed of Alabama, like we might see with the Georgia game, it just might be a little bit too much for Michigan, a team that has recruited well, but not elite across the board. All right. Um, another one, if Cincinnati pulls up the up, pulls off the upset of upsets, they would be 14 and a half point underdogs to Georgia. I'd take Cincinnati, 14 and a half. That's, that's too many. Yep. Easy money. This one, I'm going to have to disagree. I, I just feel like there is size and everything. I, the difference between Georgia's overall defense and Alabama's overall defense is, is not comparable, in my opinion. And yes, I know that Georgia lost Alabama, and everyone's going to throw that back in the face in, in any argument there. But that was because of a very special, special game, one one-time game that I feel like more so than very much the exception than the rule. Um, I just don't feel like Cincinnati Cincinnati has the depth to be able to overcome a four-quarter game versus Georgia. So I would say that Georgia would win that game pretty handedly, actually. All right. And our final matchup possibility, Cincinnati and Michigan, if the two underdogs win this game, Cincinnati would be plus seven. Um, I'll be honest, if it was Cincinnati versus Michigan – and I was getting them at plus seven. If I get them at plus seven, I'm probably looking at, you know, plus 200 to plus 220 money line. I'm hammering that money line for Cincinnati national title if they're playing Michigan. Yeah, I think I'm doing the same. Um, I think I like what uh, Desmond Ritter would bring to the table in that. And I don't know. I just feel like they'd have the better quarterback. Granted, I feel like most teams. I don't know. I guess Bama would have the better quarterback against Michigan as well, but what can you do? What is the odds of this game even occurring? Like, do they have like a percentage odds? I know they even have that, but um, while you're looking that up, if you can even find it, there's like tiers of levels of talent caps. And I feel like Georgia, Alabama, between them and Michigan, there's like a substantial gap. And then between the 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 Michigans and Cincinnati's there's another gap. It just so happens that Cincinnati, because of their gap, they actually have a better matchup because of their personnel with Alabama. But a team kind of difference between them and Cincinnati, awful awful matchup between Cincinnati and Michigan. 
same thing between Cincinnati and Georgia. So I just feel like with Georgia, excuse me, with Michigan being kind of like a, like a bootleg version of Georgia, <laughs> I still feel like the, 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 the gap is still there. Um, Michigan still a better overall team than Cincinnati and they exploit everything that Cincinnati would be vulnerable to. So um, I would still take Georgia in that one. I'm assuming were, Michigan in that one. If you were to parlay Cincinnati and Michigan money lines together on the DraftKings Sportsbook, you would right now have a payout of plus 1500. Well, this entire lock staff pretty much made money off of the Cincinnati making the college football. Plus 1500 playoffs. is so I nothing. Like, what's I, I, I feel like plus 1500, that's got to be a, a high likelihood here. Well, and here's a here's a fun thing for you. So if Cincinnati, the odds for Cincinnati to defeat Georgia, this is a specific um, result that is on a certain sports book, uh, plus 3,000. And then for Cincinnati to defeat Michigan, plus 5,000 right now. It's crazy. And you know, the one thing about this is we haven't really we've seen so many blowouts in this game, but we have seen upsets. I mean, Ohio state was the four seed in the playoff when they won it. We've seen this kind of happen. Yeah. We've seen the four seed just, win it before. Just say that one more time. Who did Ohio state beat? Uh, they beat Alabama, Alabama. and then they yeah. beat Alabama. Say that they again. Beat Alabama in the first round. Ohio and then uh, Oregon upset. Alabama. Uh, then Oregon. Yeah. Ohio state upset Alabama. Say that one more time. Ohio State upset Alabama. Yeah, I now mean, try to try to replace Ohio State with Cincinnati upset. Alabama. Cincinnati upset Alabama. <laughs> it, I, that's the difference. Look, it can um, Ohio State over Alabama is. They're not both in Ohio. They're both that's, in Ohio. That's not an upset. Well, actually, that's not true. Cincinnati's in Kentucky. Ask Ohio anyone from State, Ohio. Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia, and all of these teams that recruit at the way that they recruit. They don't upset each other. They just happen to beat each other on random years. Cincinnati beating any of these teams at the highest level, that would be something of of legend. Well, I mean, speaking of something of legend, this Cincinnati team, they went to Notre Dame and beat Notre Dame. That's something that hadn't happened in about 30 games. I'm telling you, they're doing things that not a lot of teams have done this year. I think I, think I don't we can all think agree that Notre Dame... Notre Dame exists at a level further below than the traditional now established blue bloods. They have, they have succeeded in mediocrity more than any other football program for three decades now. This is very, very true. Uh, look, I don't think Cincinnati can win this whole thing. Um, if they might be able to put together a miracle performance and beat Alabama, I don't know if they can do that twice, but I think for kind of the future of college football, and this will be our last talking point of the night, how important is it that Cincinnati looks like they belong on the field with Alabama? How important is it that we see one of these schools like Cincinnati or Central Florida or Boise State yeah. step up to the plate? I would I would have thought that it would have been more important if they were going to continue to be in the AAC, but the fact that they're growing up and they're going to be a now Power 5 team just is more indicative of the fact that they have made moves as a program to become a power five program. So they're no longer this like Cinderella kind of poverty perception amongst the power five versus group of five kind of grouping. They're they're They've always been a tweener and they have made the leap 
and they're going to only continue to make the leap. And as long as they have the staff and people in place there, because I mean, over the years, Cincinnati has been like a poaching ground for coaching talent for a lot of power five programs. And it's similar to app state and a couple other programs. You only look at like maybe one or two or three different group of five teams that the really good power five programs have looked at to actually poach talent. Um, so that's indicative that Cincinnati has always been kind of there, but not there. Well, now they seem to kind of be there. And the fact that they have doubled down with their financing and, and the fact that they're now accepted in the big 12, like this is just more of a, 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 a growth into what they are already seemingly are as a program, which is a power five program in all but name. So I'll leave it at that. Um, I don't think it's that important. I think it's just more of, Hey, this is just the acceptance that Cincinnati is power five. Just the fact that they haven't gotten there yet is more indicative of the fact that, Hey, uh, uh, it's power five group of five, but there's like a group of like three teams and the group of three teams should just be like Cincinnati. Uh, it should be maybe Houston. It should be app state, maybe a couple other teams. They're not a group of five teams. What I'm trying to get at. Yeah. I think I would, uh, kind of tend to agree with that. I think, yeah, Cincinnati has shown that they, they have no intention of continuing to be a group of five team. And that kind of tells it all. I think what would happen if Cincinnati beat Alabama, um, I think you'd have a lot of angry conversations on Twitter. I think there'd be a lot of people pointing fingers saying, hey, UCF should have made it in 2017 and et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is, is Cincinnati, to get to the point that they had to get to, which was number four, they had to accomplish this list of, you know, not only just your typical undefeated season, but they had to do so in a conference that had, um, you know, two other teams that were, ranked for most of the year in Houston and SMU. They had to go on the road and beat Notre Dame. They had to beat another power five team in Indiana. And then they had to have a, a three power five conferences, not have champions represented. So I don't know. I, I feel like it would be fun conversation, but it wouldn't really do much. Like, cause then at that point, the two conferences really being left out are maybe the mountain West and the Sun Belt. So and none of those teams really deserve to be in the conversation at this point. Mountain West doesn't care about your measly college football playoff. So don't even don't even think about it. All right. Well, I mean, that'll wrap it up for this week's. We will uh we will be back. We'll have a lot of exciting stuff, some non-college football related content that will be coming out soon here. 2022 is going to be a lot of fun for us. We are not going away for very long. Uh, maybe we'll do some like a Twitter space for the college football playoff final. Um, maybe some Twitter spaces for some college basketball, stuff like that. Any ideas you have of any content, hit us up on Twitter at locks of Saturday and guys signing off. Irby hit us up a very dis- disappointed go Hokies. There's always 2022. The Brent Pry era has begun in Blacksburg. Thanks for tuning in all year, guys.
under Every warning they ignite Bright Isabella, I'm thinking it through Everything I gotta do Burdens on the blurry lines that they drew 